wait a minute, wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. I'll just come up sometime, see me. in your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. The stuff uh, that dreams are made of. Hey everybody, Kirk here. I uh, just want to say before we start the episode, make sure you follow us on Twitter. And Facebook. And if you enjoy the episode, make sure to leave us a rating, a comment on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We love to hear your feedback and you can find us on any social media by searching Silver Screen Time Machine. We appreciate your feedback. Look forward to hearing from you. Hello. Welcome to Silver Screen Time Machine, Wendy and Kirk's classic film review. Hello, Kirk. How are you? I'm doing great today, Wendy. How are you? We're so glad to have you back from your little hiatus. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. Sorry I missed you guys last week. It was a fun episode, but I'm ready to get back in the saddle and talk about a great movie this week. Awesome. So we're going to get in our time machine and we're going back to when and what are we talking about? We're going back to 1935 and we're going to talk about one of my favorite comedies from one of my favorite comedy groups, the Marx Brothers and Night at the Opera. A Night at the Opera, my actually my favorite Marx Brother movie as well. So I guess we should go into a little bit of background. Yes. Produced by Irving Thalberg mm-hmm. at MGM. Yes. Irving Thalberg was a pretty prolific producer, very young. He started out very young. I think they called him the Wonder Kid or something yeah. at MGM. And unfortunately, Irving was born with some sort of a heart condition, and it was kind of well known that he wasn't going to live very long. As a matter of fact, Louis B. Mayer at one point said to his daughter not to marry him because he wasn't going to live oh, very wow. long. Yeah. Mm. And he did die quite young. But in the meantime, when he was alive, he did quite a lot for MGM. He produced quite a lot of wonderful movies, including this movie. And he was very instrumental in taking the Marx Brothers from what they had been doing at Paramount to what they're doing at MGM. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between those two? Yeah, the Marx Brothers coming up, they kind of built their reputation as like that chaotic, just force of nature. You watch the earlier movie, especially the movie right before this, Duck Soup, you see that a lot of that energy. When Thalberg got a hold of it, he basically said, first of all, we need more story structure. He wanted to make the group more accessible. Yes. Uh, So he wanted a stronger, more stable story structure to the script. And also he wanted to make them more relatable. Like I said, if you watch those earlier movies, if you watch Duck Soup, especially Harpo in particular, but all three of them, they're agents of chaos. They're, They're a tornado coming through. They're a hurricane. And they don't really consider who it is getting in their way. Rich, poor, whoever it is, everybody's a potential victim for their shenanigans. So Thalberg saw that and said, no, we're going to make you a little nicer, a little kinder, a little gentler, and we're going to put you in a situation where you are helping certain characters and you're only going to direct that energy towards the villains, towards yes. the people we've established as the bad guys. And you definitely see that change in this movie, uh, like I said, especially with Harpo, because Harpo, to me, I've always enjoyed him as just that hurricane, that unpredictability you see. In Duck Soup, you have that great scene with the lemonade stand vendor, and the guy did nothing wrong, but they just <laughs> abuse this guy, and it's hilarious, just taking his hat and not doing all this stuff. And you really don't see that. Harpo's super sympathetic in this movie. He starts out getting beaten and Being whipped bullied, by, his, yep. by his boss. And so right away, you get a little more of a tender spot for him. And uh, that continues all through their movies until you get to Love Happy, their last movie, where Harpo's essentially the protagonist of the entire movie. But that's kind of starts here. 
and Thalberg put in the romantic leads yeah. who are kind of the more traditional male and female leads for a movie like this. And you see the Marx Brothers are assisting them in their pursuit of their relationship and their love for each other. So it was a big difference. And it's funny to me because I read this and I'm like, I just want to see funny Marx Brothers. But I sat down to rewatch this and my wife was with me. And she is, I'll be kind, barely tolerating the Marx Brothers comedy. <laughs> and then as soon as they start singing, her ears perk up. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, just get to the next gag. But when the song was over, she turns to me and says, that was the best part of the movie. Yeah. So the Thalberg guy probably knew what he was doing. Yeah, well, he added a couple musical productions in this particular film. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we're not just talking about when Harpo plays his harp and Chico plays his piano, which is always a great part of the Marx Brothers movies anyway, which we'll talk about a little later. But he added two actual musical production numbers yeah. where people are dancing, where people are singing their big production numbers and that was actually very popular in the 30s so sure. I think that was a good choice another thing I would say about Harpo is I mean I think was one of the problematic things about the Marx Brothers in their earlier films was the sort of sexual harassment of women yeah it was really bad sure <laughs> really bad I mean it's it's funny and it's appropriate for a vaudeville stage and we have to remember that this is what the Marx Brothers do they are vaudevillians sure they just basically brought vaudeville to film yeah. that's what they did absolutely so they actually took their stage show and they brought it to film until they met up with MGM and Thalberg, where they actually gave them a more a script that made sense, not just, a, like you said, just a bunch of going hither and yon and not really any real storyline. Sure. And that's something else they did in pre-production that Thalberg had them do. This was his brainchild. Like you said, they originated on the stage. Right. They originated on, as a road show. And what Thalberg did is before they started filming the movie, he put them back on the road. Yep. And he had them basically doing the gags and the stunts and the routines from this movie and working them out live on stage, yeah. which was what they did early in their career. The first couple of movies were actually just based on their stage right. productions. So he kind of got them back in that mindset and it really helped. And you see, for better or worse, again, there are parts of the comedy that I prefer from the earlier movies. But this is a much tighter Much script, polished. Much more polished. polished yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a much more polished movie than you saw in the past. So I think a lot of them, them working through it, and they said they'd just do it over and over again. What got laughs got kept in and yeah. worked on, and whatever didn't, that just got cut, and they moved on. So it was a really interesting way for them to do that, to kind of get back to their roots, and you see that here. Yeah, I guess we have to give some credit to the screenplay. George Kaufman and Maury Riskin. We actually talked about Maury Riskin on our first episode when we talked about Stage Door. He was the, the screenplay writer on that and George Kaufman was the playwright on that so okay. anybody who wants to hear more about that can go back to our first sure. episode of Stage Door but George Kaufman we didn't talk much about him he started out as a humorist newspaper columnist for the Washington Times and he eventually became a drama editor with the New York Times and then he began writing plays he was a very successful Broadway playwright from 1920 to 1950 and he actually was involved with the Marx Brothers while they were on Broadway, he would write a lot of their material. Groucho wasn't a big fan of writers in general, yeah. but he loved George Kaufman. Mm -hmm. He insisted that he was brought on as the writer for A Night at the Opera, and he actually called him his god. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a pretty high compliment. Yep. So a couple of the plays, for example, that George Kaufman did write was You Can't Take It With You and Dinner at Eight. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, which that. turned into two really fantastic films. Sure. And then also Al, let's hope I can pronounce this poor fellow's name properly, but Al Boisberg, 
He was uncredited. They brought him in to punch up some dialogue. He actually wrote the stateroom scene. Okay. Which was the big funny scene that everybody talks about in this movie and that people copy. The thing is that Thalberg would nag him to get the scene written, and he'd keep nagging him and nagging him, and it got on his nerves. So what he finally did was he called up Thalberg. He said, okay, the scene's ready. You can come and get it. And they arrived. They couldn't find the script anywhere. What he had done was shredded it and <laughs> nailed the pieces of shredded paper to the ceiling. And so they had to take them down and literally paste the pages together. And it, they said it took hours to do. But they were really thrilled when they saw the when they actually saw the scene. However, that was another one. As written, it didn't go off that well. Yeah. When they did their little tour, people didn't like it as much. So the Marx Brothers had to improve upon yeah, that. Yeah, the, the joke was different in that scene. What I'd read is that originally the joke was just that, that crowded room was an excuse to get Grouch out in the ha- hallway. Yes. To change his pants in the hallway. Yes. That was the big joke. That was the joke. And that didn't go over, like you said. So they kind of just changed it and it became something brilliant. I mean, to this day. That's, Absolutely. Anytime you saw a reel of great comedy scenes, that's one of the ones that's going to be right on top of that I list. I mean, I've watched that movie so many times and I don't think I... Don't ever laugh at that scene. Oh, absolutely. Every time. And there's so much going on in that scene that every time you watch it, you can just watch a different character or see something else happening. There's so many moving parts of that scene. It's fantastic. Yeah, and actually some shout-outs to his family in that scene because the one girl comes in, she's asking for her Aunt Minnie, Mm -hmm. and that was a reference to Minnie, which was their mother. Sure. Who was their manager for a long time. And another, their mother's brother, their uncle, was a vaudevillian named Al Sheen. He was the one that kind of started them in vaudeville, and that he used to do this skit with his partner, Sheen and Gallagher. It was called Little Man, Big Man skit and the engineer and the engineer's assistants are a, a reference to that uh, okay yeah, the That's little cool. engineer and little engineer's yeah. assistant <laughs> is this big huge guy trying to fit into the room we should probably talk a little bit about the actual plot yeah sure <laughs> if uh, just a little bit here I don't know. Do you want to go ahead and start off on that? Yeah. The movie takes place. It starts out in Italy in an opera house. Harpo is working for the big... He's a tenor, right? He is the tenor. His name in the film is Rodolfo Lesperi. He's the big name tenor, but he's also a real jerk. Harpo is, I think, his dresser, and he's abusing Harpo. He's trying to take advantage of the female singer, and... The female singer's boyfriend is basically, he's like a chorus singer, understudy or something like that, but he has aspirations to be the lead of the opera, and he has the talent to do it, just kind of he's being held down. So Groucho is going to um, try to bring in this woman named, what's the character's name? Uh, Mrs. Claypool. Mrs. Claypool, played by Margaret Dumont, who is a Marx Brothers regular. Yes, the fifth Marx Brother. (laughs) The fifth Marx Brother, they called her. And uh, she plays basically the straight man or the straight woman, I think, for seven or eight of their movies. She was with them for a long time. And just doing her bit, she's being the the, the stuffy old kind of like dowager kind of character. And she's the target of Groucho's jokes. And so she is um, trying to be brought into society. Groucho is going to help her by he gets her to invest in the opera. Chico is going to try and help this young couple get this young man elevated to the higher status that he wants to be in the opera. Well, Chico is the manager. His name in the thing is Ferrello. He plays the manager of Ricardo Baroni, which is played by Alan Jones, which is the young tenor that's in the chorus Mm -hmm. that can't get ahead because it doesn't have a reputation. That's what he's told. Um, And is the love interest of Kitty Carlisle. Her character's name is Rosa. So Rosa and Ricardo are in love. Chico is managing Ricardo. 
Harpo. His name is Tommaso in the film. He's playing the dresser or the assistant of the mean tenor, whose name Lesperi. And then we have Groucho as Otis B. Driftwood, and he is along because he is launching Mrs. Claypool into society, and he's having her donate a bunch of money to the opera, and the opera director's name is Herman Gottlieb. And so he's invited on the ship because he's sort of the representative of Mrs. Claypool, and Mrs. Claypool's invited. So the people that are supposed to be going on the ship are Groucho, Mrs. Claypool, Rosa, because yeah. Lesperi, he chooses her as his leading lady, yes. so he kind of got her the job, you know, so he thinks that gives him the right to sure. sexually harass her yeah. throughout the film. And so they're all on the ship, and what happens is some other people wind up coming onto the ship. Yeah, it's Chico and Harpo and the young tenor. What was the char- I'm sorry, what was the character's name again? Ricardo Barone. Ricardo. Ricardo, Chico, and Harpo, they all stow away. Stow away in like these barrels. Yeah, <laughs> and it's really, this is kind of a rehash of, I believe it was Horse Feathers that was one of their movies that took place entirely oh, on the no, ship. Oh, no, they weren't in the barrels. I'm sorry that I misspoke. Yeah, they're, that, in the, they're in his trunk. They're in the, they're the big trunk, yeah. Trunk. Horse Feather, my Marx Brothers movies. Horse Feathers was, was the barrels, but it's a very similar story where they're stowaways. <laughs> in that movie, the, the, the earlier movie, they were all um, stowaways. In this one, it's just the three of them. So they're stowing away because Chico's new plan is he's going to get his... Uh, his guy, the, the job, he's gonna, and he's going to bring these, this couple together. So they stow away. Groucho finds out about it. He kind of gets involved. They all eventually get caught. They get captured. There are three. They're called three aviators. They're being these, like, celebrated heroes on the ship as well. They end up kind of taking their place, disguising themselves as them. They have these very long beards, yeah, these they, aviators. Yeah. They have, like, ZT top beards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And Harpo steals them and glues them to their faces so they can sneak out off the boat, and that's how they get off the boat. But then they get caught. And again, this is something else Thalberg said he wanted in their movies. He wanted a down moment. He said you had to have that lowest point. And that's kind of where this is. They all get arrested. They get busted for stowing away. Driftwood gets fired from his position. Rosa gets fired. Rosa gets fired. And now they all kind of have to go and restore their position within the opera. And that's where you get like the big comedy scene, the other big famous comedy scene of yeah. the opera, where they kind of do their Marx Brothers thing and take over the opera. I will say that I really like, uh, obviously I like the stateroom scene, of course, but my favorite scene in that movie is when the policeman comes when they're yes. having when they're yes. when they're having breakfast in the hotel yeah. and the policeman comes and he's chasing them around the room yeah. and they're moving the beds. That is, I'm glad you brought that up. That is probably my favorite scene in the movie. That's such an underrated so scene of theirs. It's so well choreographed. Yes. And what it is for anybody who hasn't seen it, the policeman's hunting them down after they've stowed away on the ship and he's looking for these three. And he comes in, and the four of them, Cardo and the three brothers, are in this hotel room having breakfast. And it's like a double room. It's like a suite. And so the police officer comes in. The three of them hide because Groucho's really not... Groucho's supposed to be the only one Yeah, he's supposed to be there, yeah. Yeah. So they run out the balcony and go to the other room. And the policeman comes in, and Groucho's like, well, I'm here all by myself. (laughs) He's like, well, you got three beds. you got three other place settings. What's going on? Why is the table set for four? He said, my alarm clock's set for eight. That doesn't mean anything. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. And so the police officer's like, what's going on here? So he goes out the balcony. When he goes out, Groucho takes one of the beds, takes the other room. So he keeps coming back and forth, and they're moving these beds around while the the police officer in the room. So basically, they move everything out of that room without the cop seeing them. So he's like, thinks he's going crazy. (laughs) And then finally, the final gag is it's 
Harpo and Groucho quickly disguise themselves as this old couple <laughs> in rocking chairs. And the cop walks in and says, oh, I'm sorry, I must that's be in the, the wrong, wrong room. room yeah. It's fantastic. It's, <laughs> it's I, really, really funny. It is great. And I think that's just Marx Brothers in general, what is so great about them and why they stand the test of time is because there's so many different kinds of comedy. You have the physical comedy. Yes. You have the, the whiz-bang, you know, one-liners. But you also have those very well thought out and plotted comedic moments, yes. you know, that kind of take, it's like a, a choreography kind of thing. So, so many, so many different ways that they would get you to laugh at these movies. It's, yeah. And I would say that each of the brothers has their own, obviously they have their own comic persona, yeah. but I also think they all have their own kind of comedy. Obviously Groucho, he plays, a lot of times he plays this fortune hunter con man that's trying to prey on rich women. Margaret DeMont almost always, yeah. she's pretty much always paired with him. And obviously he has the one-liners. That's Groucho's claim to fame is the zippy one-liners, the sarcastic one-liners. They're very funny. Some of his one-liners are very funny. And Chico is, he plays this Italian guy. He has this very poor Italian accent, this sort of stereotypical, (laughs) yeah, what's a me? And he has kind of this rundown little outfit. And he usually plays a comrade of Harpo, or he is sometimes a manager of something. But he also does a lot of, punning like the sanity clause yeah. <laughs> sanity clause stuff like that he does a lot of funny word play yeah and then of course harpo we know he has the wig and the big overcoat trench coat that he has all these things in his pockets he's got the horn he's pantomime he sure. doesn't speak and he's very physical comedy yeah and so they're all very funny but they're all very different and which the- which one's your favorite harpo is he? Yeah. Yeah. And they said the reason Harpo wound up doing that silent persona was that he couldn't really remember his lines. Oh, really? Yeah. And they just said, don't speak. That's fair. <laughs> just yeah. don't speak. And it turned out to be the best thing. Like, yeah. I wish we were on video for this, but when he makes that face, yeah. that, <laughs> where <Yeah>. his eyes <laughs> cross, yeah. you know, that one face that he makes all the time. Yeah. It's just the funniest thing ever when he makes that face. Oh, like, Harpo is the original cartoon character. If you watch... Anything from Bugs Bunny all the way up to Jim Carrey, it's all Harpo. Yeah. You, know, you see so much of that. That's what I love about him. And I, I think Groucho, obviously, he's the smartest. He yes. has the dialogue and he always has the comeback. And I think Chico is the purest showman. His jokes, his music, everything, you can tell he's just the showman. And Harpo, like I said, is just that force of nature. I just love the gag. It doesn't do so much in this movie, but pulling out the props yes. out of his coat and everything. It's very clown-like. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Including yeah. the wig. Absolutely. Chico, I think, is also kind of the most charming of the three. I always yeah. thought Chico was kind of the most charming. And actually, why his name is Chico, because he was known yeah. to be a woman chaser. Yeah. <laughs> he chased, back in the day, they called them chickens. Yeah. So technically, they're still called chicks. So that's not that weird, but yeah. So that's how he got his name, Harpo, obviously, because of the harp and Groucho. There's some debate on how Groucho got his name, but supposedly because he was fairly grouchy. Yeah. <laughs> I think that Chico's the most relatable because he comes off as the most like a real person. person yeah. Harpo, like I said, is a cartoon character. Groucho is doing his thing, and he's always on where Chico seems like he's always the one connecting to the other characters. Yes. He's the one who has the most humanity to him. So, yeah. But all three of them are fantastic, though. Yeah, and this is the first film that Zeppo's not in. Yeah, Zeppo. Zeppo didn't come over with him. After his Paramount contract is up, he called it quits. And it's a shame because he always end up playing the straight man if you see the he movie. He was season. like the romantic lead, yeah. technically, a lot of the time. Sure. He played the romantic lead. Yeah. The sort of character that Alan Joes plays here. He was kind of that stock leading man character. And it's a shame because he never really got to show his comedic chops. And throughout history now, he's seen as the unfunny brother. Mm-hmm. But they called him the funniest Marx brother. They 
said that when they were on the stage that he was the funniest. And they yeah. also said that he could imitate all the other brothers perfectly. Yeah, he would. And he would step in. He and, was the understudy. He would come in and do any one of their roles. And Groucho said, I would rather watch him do my parts than do myself. Yeah, he said if they let him smoke in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was Monkey Business. I'm not sure which movie it was. One of those movies, there is actually a scene where Zeppo is filling yes. in for Groucho. The light's dim. Dim. Mm-hmm. And he is playing him. You really can't see him that well, but he's playing the full character. He's doing the voice and everything. So he actually became their manager at this point. So he's still working with them behind the scenes. And him and there's another brother, Gummo. Gummo, who never was in any of the movies. He was part of the stage performances, but he never crossed over into the movies. He and Zeppo both became agents and eventually very successful. Gummo was a very successful agent. He was yeah. the agent of Glenn Ford. Oh, really? Yeah, he wow. signed Glenn Ford read that in Glenn Ford's biography. <laughs> yeah, they had a very successful yeah. career. And they had other business too, an engineering firm or something like that. So they were very entrepreneurial-like in those endeavors, but they had a lot of success off screen. So let's talk a little bit about the director, Sam Wood. Okay. Sam Wood, actually a very good director. He did some very famous films and he was nominated for three Oscars and he did win an Oscar. He won the Best Director Oscar for King's Row, which is an excellent film actually. And I was very surprised to find out he was the director on Goodbye Mr. Chips. Oh really? Yes. And I thought I would have never thought Marx Brothers. It's totally different. Sure. He started out as a real estate agent, very successful, but he did some movie production on the side and then he wound up being the assistant director to Cecil B. DeMille. I mean, who better to learn from, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he would just be a very dependable director. He would always come in within budget. He was very efficient, but he also liked to do a lot of takes and he had a lot of trouble when he had to direct the Marx Brothers because he would do a lot of takes because he wanted to compare and see what would be the best take. He wanted to look at the rushes and decide then what yeah. was the best take. So he'd take like 20 takes of each scene. And the Marx Brothers, they didn't care for that. They felt that stifled their creativity. Sure. And he didn't care for their ad-libbing and he wanted the scenes to go well. So it was not a great collaboration. I mean, it turned out good, but they didn't really care to work with each other. And he would say things like, oh, you can't make an actor out of clay. And then Groucho <laughs> would say, nor a director out of wood, (laughs) which I thought was just typical of Groucho. He actually said these things in real life. Sam Wood, actually a very talented director and acclaimed. Liam McCary did one of their movies. They got some big-name directors. We look back at them now, and I talk to people about the Marx Brothers, and they're almost looked like the Three Stooges. Yes. And not to downplay the Three Stooges or anything, but people don't realize how big they were at the time. Very popular. what What a big draw they were. And obviously with MGM signing them and bringing them on and giving them a big contract, they were very much in demand. Especially when they came to MGM. They had a lot of success in this particular film, A Night at the Opera. And the one nice thing I find, too, about this particular film is they actually let the singers sing. Yeah. They didn't dub them. And actually, there's four people in the cast that were all talented, trained operatic singers. Kitty Carlisle and Alan Jones, who did sing. They didn't want Kitty Carlo to yeah. sing. They told her no. And she said, well, I'm not going to play the role if you don't let me sing. So sure. they said, okay, we'll let you sing. And I'm thinking, how good do you have to be? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, she's pretty good. <laughs> and then uh, actually Walter Wolf King, who played Lisperi, was also a trained opera singer, but they did dub him because he was a baritone and uh, they needed okay. a tenor in the film. And Margaret Dumont was a trained opera singer yeah. as well. Yeah. So they had a lot of trained opera singers. And that was one other difference in this movie, too. Usually, there had been, the past Marx Brothers movies, most of them had a musical element to them. You know, there were songs. 
But most of them were saying by the Marx Brothers. Groucho did a lot of the singing. And they were just for the comedy. They were silly songs. Again, Duck Soup has two really great songs in it that Groucho performs. They're very funny. But in this one, it's played more for just for the musical talent alone. Like you said, they're very operatic and they played very straight. Yeah, and they have a hit song in this particular film, the song Alone, which they wanted to cut. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They wanted to cut the song. Wow. As a matter of fact, it was the only hit song from a Marx Brothers movie. So uh, thank goodness they kept that in. Well, we're talking about the music. Let's talk about Chico and Harpo. Yes. On the piano, on the harp. Chico on the piano is honestly one of my favorite things in these movies. Self-trained. Yeah. When I watch a Marx Brothers movie, if I told you there's a comedy I'm going to watch and about halfway through they're going to stop and one of the guys is going to come on and play the piano, you'd be like, oh my God, that sounds so dumb. <laughs> but honestly, when I watch a Marx Brothers movie, I look forward to that. That's why I want to talk about this movie instead of Duck Soup, I think might be technically a funnier movie, might be a better movie, but that's one of the few where you don't get Chico on the piano. And I talked about him being a showman. Him playing a piano is just so much fun to watch. Yeah, the way he does with his With his finger 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 guns. guns. He's entertaining you with his hands while he's playing the piano. And just the energy he brings to it. He's enjoying himself. And he does that thing where he looks around. It's not like, hey, everybody, look how great I am. It's like, hey, is everybody having a good time? You guys all enjoy this? He's surrounded by kids in this. He's done that in other movies, too. But he's always got a crowd around him. He's always kind of like playing off the crowd. It's so much fun to watch. Harpo's really good, too, on the harp. That's played a little more straight. He's not as much in character when he's playing the harp. But yeah, I love Chico on the piano. It's so much fun to watch. And they're both extremely talented musicians. And both self-taught. They taught themselves their instruments. Eventually, they did have some teachers here and there, but they pretty much learned their instruments all on their own. They're just very musically talented. Groucho himself, too, he plays the guitar, and he actually does sing. He can sing. I know he sings kind of silly in a lot of songs, but he is a trained singer as well. Well, they come from, and we talked a little bit about their mom. We can talk about their background now. They come from a family of performers, vaudevillians. They had a, I don't remember if it was an aunt or an uncle or somebody who was a yodeling harpist. (laughs) So just a little bit of everything. And they learned all that. And their mother, she was kind of a stage mom. She kind of like pushed them into it. She was a stage mom. But she got them to pursue the comedy. She did act, as you mentioned, as their uh, manager early in their career. They said she really drove a hard bargain. She Mm -hmm. really pushed the theaters to get them good deals and she took good care of them. So it was kind of just in their blood and it was kind of destined that this is what they were going to do with themselves. Well, Chico was playing the piano piano as a very young person playing to accompany silent films oh really yeah he did it as a job and he'd book himself in numerous gigs as a matter of fact he'd double book himself and then he'd have harpo (laughs) he'd have harpo go and play and it didn't work out as well as it could because harpo only knew how to play two songs on the piano (laughs) so it eventually got found out that this wasn't him playing but yeah they didn't have a lot of schooling they were pulled out of school fairly early, and they sure. would go and have jobs, and that was one of the things that they did. Yeah, that was common back then. Oh, we should mention that Harpo does play the piano in this one as well. He usually doesn't, but this one he does get a little piano in, and it's very... Very, very poor. Very, very poorly, <laughs> yeah. He just thundered over the keys, and he does it more like clowning, like he's doing gags with his hands yes. and you know, shutting his hands in the piano and things like that. So they were both incredibly talented when it comes to music. And you could tell those guys that could do anything. Mm-hmm. You see those performers who, whatever needs done, they can do. Uh, that's who they were. Night at the Opera, really great film. Again, my favorite Marx Brothers film. Is this your favorite? Or it would be this or Duck Soup between Duck the two Soup. of them, yeah. I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about as no. far as this film? I think we covered everything. 
Just a couple of the other routines. We talked about the state routine, mm-hmm. the hotel. I think the contract scene, you mentioned the sanity clause. Yes. That's another great one. And what's great about it is the dialogue is fantastic. You know, it reminds me of the who's on first. Yeah, it is way. very much like, yeah. just yeah, um, Abbott and Costello. Yeah. That's what I love about Chico and Groucho. In these movies, it seems like Chico always plays a simple guy. Yes, he does. But he's always the only one who has a comeback for Groucho. Yeah. You ever notice that? Harpo doesn't talk, so he's not in that conversation. But all the other characters, Groucho is running circles around them. But whenever he's talking to Chico, okay. Chico's keeping up. Them. He's right there with them. So it's really fun there. And just the way that Groucho looks at him. Yeah. When they're doing this scene, he just keeps giving them that side <laughs> yes. eye. And again, just mixing the dialogue with that great physical comedy and just real subtle humor. People talk about them like they're so broad and over the top, and they have those moments, but there's so many subtle little jokes and gags and movements and whatever that make it so much funnier. This has some of the most iconic Marx Brothers scenes you're going to see. Yeah, I watched this with somebody not that long ago that has never seen a Marx Brothers movie and doesn't really like Marx Brothers or know anything about them. And at first, he wasn't laughing at any thing at all and I'm thinking oh he doesn't like this because it can be an acquired taste but by the end of the movie he's laughing at things and he's like I'm starting to pick up on their jokes yeah you might want to have to watch it a second time and you pick up a lot more as you go along you start to understand how they do their jokes and and why it's funny because sometimes it's so quick especially Groucho's one-liners that you can miss them yeah Absolutely. And I think, too, there's a few things. Obviously, the physical comedy is universal, but a lot of the dialogue, A, I don't think we see a lot of that in modern movies. No. And B, some of it is a little of the time. Uh, Not necessarily it's not funny anymore because of the time, but I think there's a few topical jokes in there that may go over our heads as modern viewers. Yeah, and some slang references that maybe we don't get. Yeah, but I think the more you watch it, like you said, it's acquired taste, you catch on. And I've seen this movie, I don't know how many times, though, but I'm still sitting there just giggling at the same stuff. I can't help it. Same. It's so funny. Yeah. So I highly recommend this movie, but we have to give it a star rating. Okay. I'm going to give it three stars just right. because there's parts of the production that I have a little bit more higher quality that I prefer in production. Sure. Okay. Like cinematography, et cetera. But I, please don't take that as a bad rating because I'm very on the conservative side of my ratings <laughs> anyway. This is a great film, but it's not my upper echelon style of film. I understand that. And I recommend this very highly as well. And I would say just in general, if you're somebody who hasn't watched the Marx Brothers, go check it out. Start with this one. Start with Ducks of Start anywhere. I think the last couple movies drop in quality a little bit. But here in their prime, there's a lot of really great stuff. So check out the Marx Brothers in general. Watch Night at the Opera. Um, I'm going to give it four and a half. I'm going to keep my five in the back pocket. But I really, really get a lot of enjoyment out of this movie. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. See, that's why we do the show together. Absolutely. And like I said, don't listen to me because I'm very conservative <laughs> with my estimates. I usually am too, but I, like I said, I really love this one. Yeah, understandable. So I think that we're going to wrap up for today. Okay. And thanks again, Kirk. And Thank we'll you. catch you next time for another Back in History Time Machine at Silver Screen Time Machine, Wendy and Kirk's Classic Film Review. See you then. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Silver Screen Time Machine. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a comment and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Intro music composed by Heidi Engel. Outro music composed by Maximus Monk. Artwork by Tyler Birch. Produced and edited by Wendy Wittick and Kirk Kolkowski. Recorded at PCTV Studios in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.